Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 131 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The regular season is done, and it went down in controversial circumstances. We're here to talk about that. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. I'll be with you on the podcast for at least three quarters. Then I'll be benched for some random person who's got no chance of taking the podcast to completion. We'll see how that works out anyway. It's good to have you and Happy New Year from me also. Yeah, and joining Paul is Gordon McGuinness, who's uh, coming here to, to fight one side of the argument. We've got Paul to field the other side of the argument. And then we've got someone who actually had skin in the game to get his thoughts. As Giants fan, Jamie Borthwick has hopefully recovered from the absolute disarray, the, the, the shambles, the disappointment, the catastrophe in Washington. Uh, and hopefully he can add his opinions to that. And do you know what? Let's, let's open the floor up with Mr. Mitchell, because we know that you're quite shy, Paul, and you need the encouragement to share your opinions. So this is your chance. Okay, I mean, ball bag. Let, let's just start with the fact that Doug Peterson's a ball bag. It's as simple as that. They could call him Pinocchio for his post-game conference. There was so many lies told you would have thought it was Trump versus Biden on a debate stage. It was just incredible. So, Jalen Hurts hasn't been brilliant, 7-21, but he scored points, a couple of touchdowns. His team are 17-14 down, and he gets pulled for a quarterback who's been in the building for a long time, uh, and all of a sudden, Doug Peterson wants to see how he can do. So let's just have a look at the Philadelphia Inquirer, which has the headline, Eagles players' coaches were shot by Doug Peterson's quarterback switch, resulting in sideline confrontations. Now, the head coach was confronted by at least two players. There was others held back from him. Hertz was quoted as being distraught. Um, Hertz was apparently caught on television saying, that's not right. And then Pinocchio comes out and decides to tell us that he was trying to win the game. Now, I will yield the floor to uh, Philadelphia's finest, Gordon McGuinness, to <laughs> reveal all of the things that I've said. Um, but honestly, that it was a ball bag move. Now, I will say the Giants don't deserve to be in the playoffs. They should have won more games themselves. Simple as that. This was ball baggery. Over to you, Mr. McGuinness. This is the first and only time I think I'm ever going to defend the city of Philadelphia. A couple of things. One, Jalen Hurts is a big boy. He's more than capable of handling himself. He's been benched at Alabama for Tua Tugabailoa, held that, handled that absolutely fine. I think he was probably the better quarterback there for most of his time, and he was still able to handle it fine. Uh, the whole argument of sideline confrontations, Jason Kelsey's released a statement today which is very much pro uh, Nate Sudfeld getting time to play. Doug Peterson had already said before the game started, and it was through the media before the game, there's a pretty good chance that Nate Sudfeld is going to get time in this game. One, because they feel like he deserved to get a little bit of playing time. There was no preseason this year, so he didn't get any playing time because of that. Uh, and two, because he, Jason Kelsey has no uh, complaints with the ability of Nate Sudfeld to win football games for them. Sudfeld played one game for them in 2017 and completed 87% of his passes. 87% of passes is, or sorry, 82%, I think it was, is significantly more than Jalen Hurts completed. Why people are crying because a quarterback who went seven for 20 got benched in a game. 
after with the score at what was it, seventeen fourteen or whatever it was, he went two for eleven for seven yards from the end of the first half to the end of the third quarter, including when they were trying to go for it on fourth down and try and win the game, put themselves in a leading position, two or three straight incompletions. Jalen Hurts was not good enough in that game. Now, I personally think their best opportunity to win was probably just to stop throwing and run the ball with Jalen Hurts. But he was not throwing the ball well at all. There there are three avenues that Doug Peterson has for what he did. One, he wanted to tank. Two, he thought Jalen Hurts is not winning this game. And three, he wanted to see what Nate Sudfield has in a game where they're trailing, heading into an offseason where they have a question at quarterback for the first time in a good few years because Carson Wentz isn't going to be there next year. He's probably going to be traded because he's throwing the toys out the pram so much they actually had to deactivate him for the game. All three of those are perfectly fine reasons to do what you did. And he's got plausible deniability for all three of them because tanking's fine. Uh, you get a better draft pick out of that. Jalen Hurts was dreadful throwing the ball and they hadn't seen Nate Sudfeld and it was a position where they were trailing. Okay, so... No, 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 hang on, hang on. Okay, I've got okay. the right of rebuttal here. <laughs> Come on. They should have kicked the field goal for 17 all. So you whoa, don't whoa, put... whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Conversation. Hang on. conversation about tanking and then we're saying they should have kicked a field goal. Let me go, let me go where I'm going. They should have kicked it for 17 all, and then you don't pull your starter. Hurts had a chance to win the game, playing great or not. You're absolutely right. They should have kept it on the ground, and he should have been the threat from the ground. That might actually opened up the passing a little bit more. My problem is with Doug Peterson coming out to say that this gave them the best chance to win the game. That is total and utter nonsense. And he knows it. Now, if he wants to come out and just say, you know, we wanted to give Sudfeld a chance. Uh, my quarterback wasn't playing well, whatever. But they were in three points. They actually should have been level. And to come out and say that we expected to win the game with Sudfeld is complete and utter nonsense. Now, you can talk about stats. So he was, what, 87% completion in 2017. Well, in 2018 and 2019, he never threw an interception. He never threw a pick. He was unbeaten. Why? Because they didn't think he was good enough to damn well play. Utter, utter Bob Aggery from the Eagles. Uh, Right, let me jump in here. Has Peterson actually said that he did it to win? I haven't seen that quote. Yes, Yes, I was coaching to win. So I was coaching to win. That's not the same as I put him in to win. That's a different thing. So I, it feels... So that, that, that's chat, semantics, Cameron. It's exactly the same thing. But I think it's clever win, semantics from him. I think it's clever semantics from a coach who knows that wasn't a winning move. He was coaching to win. He started that game to win, and then he reached a point where he won. Do you know what? We can do something here. We can put in our backup quarterback, and we can lose the game, and I can say that I was planning to do it to see him play, and so on. You talked about the Travis... It's not Travis. Jason Kelsey quote, right? There's... And you're right, the first two pages of the quote that I've seen is what you've covered. It's part three to that that I think is the most telling, which reads as, I understand the optics of how it looked, and I'd be lying if I wasn't a little surprised given the circumstances that the move happened with it did. But every one of us did our best, and all of us believe we can win with Nate Sudfeld. Not we could have won the game. What they're saying is they can win with them. They 
they believe in their quarterback, that doesn't mean it's the same thing as we did that to win this game. I don't think that change was in any way done to win the game. I genuinely don't think anyone at the Eagles is even trying to say that. I think that there's a bit of spin and clever wording around how that's being pitched that they didn't go into that game planning to lose, which I don't think is a lie. I think that is the case because they would have pulled everybody, a la the Steelers, and they could have pulled the whole lot out. Which, which, no one, which no one's crying about, by the way, despite the fact the Browns had to win to get yes. in the playoffs. No one's crying about the fact that the Steelers rested half the roster. Because I think that it was so upfront, right? For me, and let's bring this back to Scotland, this is Dunfermline Rangers 2003. Right, this has got all the marks of that, and it's got all the marks of that will continue to be the conversation for years to come. They threw the game. That penalty was always set up in the injury time. I mean, it's ridiculous. That game was played it in such a way that that was going to happen. It's the scenario and it's the context of what the game was, the fact that it somehow still mattered in what was an absolutely boofing year for the NFC East and it was a fact it was a Sunday night game which was the last regular game that people were sitting up to watch and it had been competitive and god it was fascinating viewing and I felt as a complete neutral robbed and denied of a thrilling game up to the wire and I think that's the feeling that resonated with me I felt robbed Sorry, excuse us, I might bleep this out. Fuck the Giants, I don't care. I got robbed, right? I got denied a thrilling game where Hurts wasn't playing well, but he was doing damage on the ground. And Washington were having to figure it out. And Alex Smith was having a bit of a wobble, but we know he's a capable game manager. And we know there's enough talent in that Washington team to beat the Eagles. So let's see what they can do. Let's push it to the wire. And it felt like Sudfeld came in Fine, and I take the story. You want to see your backup quarterback? You've got nothing to play for. I wanted the Niners to lose to the Seahawks because of the pick benefit. Of course I want to beat the Seahawks. I hate losing to them. I'd rather have the picks next year because that's the emotion of right now versus the bigger picture, which is the future of this franchise. Those players playing in that game will not want to lose that game. Nobody was playing to lose that game. However, putting in Sudfeld meant that the chances of losing were likely to be lower, irregardless of whatever's going on, because you've just drafted your quarterback and you've binned your massive multi-million dollar contract guy who's previously taken you pretty far and been in MVP conversations. He was never MVP. But do you know what? He was a quality quarterback doing crap, but you've put the other guy in. So there's so much spin here. Actually, the best thing would have been just to come out of this. And and actually, they would have been better had they started their backups from the start. For me, I think the, the feeling I have is not one of anything other than I got denied a thrilling game to close the 2020 regular season and I feel robbed. Jamie Borthwick, you're a Giants fan. Well, this is your chance. So I, I, I wasn't going to stay up for the game, and then I watched, obviously, the way that the, the ludicrously dramatic way that the Giants Cowboys finished, and I thought, oh, I could stay up. I never, I never did. So I experienced all of this basically through waking up in the morning, picking up my phone, and reading the tweets of Giants players who were watching it at the time. <laughs> Which is a which is a, a an interesting way of experiencing something through someone else's eyes, and then I kind of read back on it and saw what had happened and everything, and all the rest. And I I was because I had seen it through other people's eyes, I kind of experienced it that way, and that raw emotion that it must have been to have been sitting there with 
like the ultimate skin in the game and then being denied it. Um, the more I think about it, the more I actually don't really care about the way this affected the Giants. I, I, and, and I mean that quite genuinely because as you guys have already <laughs> touched on, the Giants did not deserve to be in the playoffs. They were a, a poor team who had a little wobble towards goodness, but there's still so much work to do. They didn't deserve to be in the offseason. And let's be honest, the, the right team from the NFC East, because there had to be one, is in the playoffs. The difference in the way that Gordon and Paul, and we're using them as like the, the two camps here are seeing, is, it, is that, it, and, and we're all, to a great extent, work in terms in, in, in the sports industry and then are used to analysis and trying to be objective. The difference is between analysing a game and between experiencing a game through emotion. And let's be honest, the better way of watching football is through emotion. And if you stayed up and you invested a lot in that game, in a game that was flexed into Sunday night, the last Sunday night football of the season with loads riding on it and someone chose to turn it into a dead rubber, then you're going to be annoyed. And there's no way you can deny that. You can, every single argument that Gordon makes is spot on in the cold light and the forensic <laughs> light of day. It is right, but it denied the absolute essence of watching live sport, which is that you're invested in a proper competition and in not knowing the outcome and the Eagles killed it. I think that's why people are annoyed as well because it was the Sunday night game. If it was if it was at the same time as Cowboys Giants, people wouldn't have actually noticed it even as much. Um, and that's on the NFL. Like they, that's the game they chose to flex, and you absolutely had to know that was a possibility. The Eagles are a team who have done things with quite like looking for analytical edges for a while now. They were one of the first teams to start going for it on fourth down more all those things. So the idea going into that game that you didn't think that that was a distinct possibility um, was a mistake. And it was because the other option for you is the, the least likely option was that teams in the AFC lost that meant the Browns were in regardless. Uh, if you'd played Browns Steelers in Sunday night football, the reason it was likely going to be a winning in for the Browns, but the terrifying thing for the NFL was because we knew the Steelers were going to rest starters. Steelers rested starters and that still was a far better game. It harks back as well, I think, an awful lot to the integrity of the game. Now, some of the ridiculous calls are the Eagles should be punished for this, which is an, just a ridiculous overreaction <laughs> to stuff, right? Of course it is. But there's with every reaction, there's a counter-reaction and so on and so on. This goes back to, I think, a massive part of the any given Sunday element of the NFL. You go out there and you do your very best to win. And as players, I don't question any single player on that Eagles team. They went out to win that game. But as a business, as a team, and as a, a, a group of front office officials who are focusing on getting the Eagles back to being the dominant team in the NFC East, the right thing for them to do is not to win that game. And that's a weird scenario. So yeah, you're right. You go out and you put your 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 reserve team out there. But even the fact you've been flexed to Sunday night football may have made them go, God, we can't really put our bum team out, eh? That's not going to make us look very good. Oh, do you know what will be better? We'll stick the quarterback in later on. We don't need to worry about that. And actually, it's going to be great. We can see him play. I'm sure it was all very much part of the plan. Um, it's it's all the different spins that come off it and all the, the different deniable 
elements that are half spoken in a way that you can interpret what you want yeah, from it. I think I think people project their disappointment onto events as well. Like the the, the spin on Jason Kelsey talking to Doug Peterson and, and making it look like it was an argument when in actual fact he was, was saying, right, I need to get this guy ready to come on, which is what he says in his in his statement today. People are projecting their frustration onto other things when they, and, and it doesn't exist. Yeah. But, but all, all I'm saying is that that frustration and emotion isn't unjustified. It's like that people are allowed to feel that because that really is what pro sports are about. Without that, what's the point? Here's the so, rest. So, so hang on, hang on, Cameron. Yeah. Three, three little points here. One, I called Doug Peterson a ball bag. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't doing it for the right intentions. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. I just thought it was a ball bag move. But, you know, that doesn't have to be. You, you can have that for selfish reasons. Two, let me quote you the Philadelphia Inquirer, one of the main columnists, who is Marcus Hayes. Now, if you're looking for a take, this is one. He says in his column in the Inquirer today, Peterson's explanation made things worse because it was simply implausible. He could have claimed that he took Hurts out of the game to protect his health. After all, considering Carson Wentz got benched the last four games and has twice let it be known he wants to leave, he might be the starter for the next few years. But to assert that Sudfeld, a less athletic, less capable version of Nick Foles, gave the Eagles an equal or better chance to win than Hurts isn't just illogical, it's insulting. Given the situation and the fact that Hurts had scored twice with his legs, Peterson had painted himself into a competitive corner. He had no choice but to remain with Hurts. That is, if Peterson wanted to protect the integrity of the game and the integrity of his reputation. Instead, he forfeited both. Ouch. That's, that, that's like absolute <laughs> like Philadelphia media. Absolutely. Just, just Absolute Absol overreaction. I, I mean, I love it. It's great writing. And the third thing, well, there, there's actually two more because Jamie made the point that this is brilliant for sport because this gets debate going, you know, and it's lovely. It's complicated. It's not simply right and wrong. It's black or black and white. There's shades of grey here. There's people with vested interests. And it's brilliant to have opinions and to be able to discuss opinions and disagree with people. The final thing is I thought the Sunday night football team uh, of Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth did a really good job of walking a balance between what the Eagles were clearly doing and the problems that they actually thought that this was going to cause. And obviously Chris Collinsworth's mobile was blowing up at the time, probably Gordon sending him a few notes along the way. But it, it was just, I just thought they mixed everything in beautifully. I thought, you know, they had contact with the Giants. The sideline reporter was texting one of the Giants players. I thought as a broadcast, I thought they did it really, really well and fairly balanced. I think they expressed the fact they were surprised, they were disappointed, but they understood. I thought they covered it really well. So the only the only final thing I'm going to say, and I, I understand I'm very much in, in the minority, but I actually understand the logic of going to Sudfeld because there are a couple of play callers in the NFL. Uh, whoa, whoa, hang on. For what? To win the game. To win the game, right, okay. Yeah. There's a couple of play callers in the NFL, and I'm, I'm not saying that's definitely what he did. I'm just saying there's plausible deniability. There's a couple of play callers in the NFL who are very good at scheming things up for quarterbacks. Kyle Shanahan's one of them. Doug Peterson's another one. There's a, there's a reasonable situation where in a close game, you put in a quarterback just hoping he's not going to make mistakes because that's all Jalen Hurts had done for about a quarter at that point was missed throws 
all you want Nate Sudfeld to do. And if go back to that 2017 game where he completed 80% of his passes, Sudfeld comes in and does that. The Eagles probably win the game. I, I don't think he's particularly good, but the logic can be if you're a good NFL play caller, you can scheme that out of quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts as a rookie is a little more erratic, was clearly off throwing the ball the quarter before that. So I understand the logic of why you might think at that point, let's make a change. I, I can get us a touchdown at this because that's all he needed was one touchdown. So I think that right, only... For a guy who's thrown 25 passes in five seasons, that just counts against it because if he'd been that good and you'd been able to scheme for him, surely he would have been used in a previous game in a year or two ago. I, I get what you're saying. But, 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 I, but I no, just why, why would he have been used before when Carson Wentz was the answer at quarterback? And Nick Foles was the backup at that point. Sudfeld was the third string guy who only played in like an extreme situation. He Foles, didn't get Foles in was with... injured. Carson Wentz has been injured. We didn't see yeah, him and again. He, he played, he played when... Not not to any great extent. I I, I mean, it, this, this is brilliant. This is what sport is about. You can disagree. I genuinely think the second that he walked on that field, they were basically saying, we can't win this game. I know you disagree, but that's, that's sport. So... Uh, <clears throat> I don't really know what's... I've gone back to 2018 just to have a look there because that's the last time that we got to an end of a season where um, Nick Sudfeld was the backup quarterback. The Philadelphia Eagles played the Washington football team. And who came on the field and played? Nate Sudfeld. How many throws did he make? One for 22 yards and a touchdown because we've been talking about that. So he did it on the last game of the regular season two seasons ago. Here's the thing about that argument for me that just immediately, not immediately, five plays in blows it out of the water because he's turned the ball over twice. So if you're still wanting to win the game, you've seen what you need to see from Sudfeld. You you cannot blame the the fumble turnovers 100% not on him. Kelsey's even taken the rap for that already. It's a bad snap. (laughs) The interception, I think he's getting hit when he throws. Okay. Like throwing but the ball downfield. There's, the, I mean, there the, the was, the was nothing from Nick Sudfeld out of that game. There was zero. No, I mean, I, I, <laughs> like... I would not, I would not have him as a potential starting quarterback on my roster. I'm just saying, Doug Peterson's been in the NFL a lot longer, um, and if he thinks that he has a chance, I mean, he's kept him on the roster. I shared this in our group chat earlier. They, they gave him a second round tender last year because the football team came sniffing around to sign him. So they think enough of him to have him around to have extended him beyond being his, uh, on his rookie contract. So I, I think he's got plausible deniability on, on all three options that he could have had for doing what he did. Yeah, and I think that it's, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, fine. Um, I think if he just owned it, owned it for what it was, I think it would have been a better outcome. Um, Jamie, last word on this one for you. I mean, <laughs> there's not much more that can be said. The right team is going to the playoffs, um, the Philadelphia Eagles' reputation has been questioned at best, um, and we in, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, we'll pretty much have all forgotten about. By by opening day next season, no one will be talking about it because it'll be oh, absolutely. Trevor Lawrence and all that. Jazz. <laughs> I, I cannot believe that the the Philadelphia Eagles' long upstanding tradition of being great fans, you know, a great franchise that everyone loves, has been sullied <laughs> by such a decision. How will they ever recover? <laughs> How indeed. I think one of the things, though, it's done, and we'll cover this, um, 
before we we're going to have someone else on to talk about the upcoming wildcard games. Um, but it, it, it kind of took away a load of headlines from what was actually a thrilling week 17. There was loads of stuff going on. And uh, Jamie, you talked about earlier on the, the decision with the, the fumble recovery um, and the, the Cowboys-Giants one. Now, we were all arguing about that on the WhatsApp group as well. And I, I still think the image that I shared where you can clearly see Gallman at the bottom of the pile with his arms around the ball is what the official has seen and ruled. And at that point, it ain't getting overturned. Um, yep. I can understand. When I watched it first and I saw the first few replays, I was like, how on earth have they made that decision? That's a nonsense. When I think that single still is enough. It's a bit like when yeah. you see a still of someone's knee being offside and it being the right decision to rule a goal off. But that's another conversation. Um <laughs> We maybe won't be bothered by like Nate Sudfeld and all of that in, in a few weeks' time, but it was a brilliant week seventeen. Yeah. Like considering how much how much was already tied up and how often week seventeens can just turn into to kind of bogged down, you know, glorified um friendlies essentially. There was some like amazing drama. There were some teams who rested players but they still pushed all the way. There was some pretty baffling official in calls. There were some great new names. They said Chad Beebe, brilliant, absolutely loving that. Um, and then yeah, Wayne Goldman inexplicably, you can see he's turned around and he's realised he's got the first down, and then he just drops the ball because <laughs> mainly because he's not very good. Uh, and it's the NFC East. <laughs> anyway, hang on, we need more nonsense. Uh, <laughs> So I went a mate on another um, um, group chat said, I wonder who got given the game ball after it disappeared up Wayne Goldman's farter. But there was other games as well. There was a, a, a load of fascinating outcomes here. Um, it was fun to see the Chiefs getting beat even under Chad Tenney. The Seahawks came back and beat the 49ers we talked about already. Uh, the Rams won uh, the game, obviously, Kyler Murray getting injured at the beginning of the game. But the Rams were on their backup quarterback, so that just leveled things, surely. The Titans-Texans coming down to a doinked ball, going in for a change rather than coming out, which is so hap- so often what happens at this time of year. Another thrilling game, 41-38. You know, the Texans, there's a lot, there's a lot of building. Very worrying words from some of the... Texans players about a lack of foundation and everything like that. There's a lot to address there. The Bears absolutely cacking it in their game against the Packers. Just capitulated completely. Um, You know, that was a surprise and it'll be interesting to see what Chicago does, if anything at all. The Ravens obviously decimating franchise record 404 rushing yards. Deary me, you know, lots to fix on the Bengals. The Browns made it interesting and squeezed it out at the very end against the Steelers' predominantly backup team, um, Mason Rudolph. The, the Browns squeezed it out is tremendous, <laughs> tremendous description, just outstanding. That, that's going to be on an NFL Scotland t-shirt. The Browns squeezed it out. Brilliant. Thanks, Cameron. Um, so, and, you know, Mason Rudolph, there was a point where I'm convinced he, he swore at somebody, whether it was a Browns defender. Maybe it wasn't Mason Rudolph, but we know he wanted to beat the Browns. I'll be perfectly honest. I took a little bit of pleasure in seeing him lose. I don't like Mason Rudolph anymore. So get that right around you, son. Um, uh, other than that, the, the Buccaneers eased past the Falcons to cost me a total of 12 burgers in the postseason, which is an unfortunate number to be given away. Ta- TB12 is 12 TB. So it's 12 top burgers, courtesy of... Um, 
Cameron Hobbs, yeah, pricks. Right, um, what we'll do now is we'll actually go to the award nominations and we'll chat through ours. So we'll start with the belter. So Gavin Newlands, his belter has to be the Browns. Matt McLaughlin, his belter, Aaron Rodgers. If he's not the MVP, then something's wrong. Ross Black's got a really good one. Belter, the charitable work by quarterbacks to get wide receivers some incentive cash. That's a teammate you want. So credit to Russell Wilson doing it with Moore. Fair play. It was a weird one. Obviously, why are they throwing it when they can take a knee? Well, we found out why. He got $100,000 because of that. Um, Belter from Chris Breen is the Browns for finally getting into the playoffs. Uh, Belter. (laughs) So there's a few of these as well where Doug Peterson's name uh, appears against all three. But the Patriots football chat with Jake and Matt, their Belter is Bug. uh, bug. (laughs) Doug Peterson. Jeez. um, LOL. Belter for Shawnee B is John Walford helping the Rams beat the Cardinals. He had actually had quite a good game. Belter for Long Callahan is Derek Henry, only the eighth back to record a 200 rushing, 2,000 yard rushing season in a league that favours the pass nowadays. Um, Phil Spears, Belter, late drama to see who got into the playoff places. So week 17 gets it, especially the Titans and the Texans. Denny Ford's Belter was Leonard Williams. Um, Stephen Lynn's belter was Aaron Rodgers for his perfect 11 out of 11 first half. Owen, who's a UK Eagles fan, won as his uh, Twitter account. Belter is Nate Sudfeld. Um, hey! <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll just we'll gloss over that one. Um, George Jackson was week 17. So many games with something to play for. Made it exciting. And uh, average. So it's Ian Brown. He says, can Doug Peterson be all three? So there you go. Who's your belters, boys? Who's your belters? Well, the belter has to be Derek Henry for doing something that very few people have done. Um, But it also comes with a a, a Bowfin nomination for Greg Gumbel uh, and his partner who called the game for CBS. It was as if somebody had said to Greg Gumbel, "Eh, your burger's ready. Could you give me a line to celebrate? His call on it was ridiculously rubbish. Um, And it it has been rubbish for it. So... Just, you know, you would think, as the guys know, if somebody's going to do something that's relatively historic, you've got a line tucked away, ready to deliver, and it just sounded like he could completely forgotten. It was horrible. But Derek Henry for for just being tremendous this season. It's good that um, we're going with something that's historic because there's a quarterback in the NFL who's the only quarterback ever to rush for 1,000 yards two years in a row. It's because they're meant to throw the ball, Gordon. I mean, you're meant to throw the ball, but we're celebrating Derek Henry getting 2,000 yards. Lamar, Lamar Jackson has been much maligned because uh, he doesn't throw the ball as much as other people. I'm, I'm also, I'm going to flat out insult Sam Monson, my colleague at PFF. I listened to the PFL F Daily podcast today, and he, they were talking about ranking those quarterbacks from that 2018 class. And his reason why he wouldn't take Lamar Jackson is because uh, you don't know if you can fit him in a traditional offense. If I've got Lamar Jackson, they can run for a thousand yards a season. Why would I ever want a, a, a traditional offense? Derek Henry's great. So is Lamar Jackson. Belter. Jamie. Uh, the Browns is the right answer. All you need to do is <laughs> dancing about on the on the um, stands, and it's not often you get like sort of that sort of scenes. But that was the joy of you know breaking that that length of time out of the playoffs, and it meant so much and. I'm no fan of the Browns and I'm no fan of uh, Baker Mayfield, but I've got to admit it's the it is the right answer. My my, I really enjoyed watching the Buffalo Bills absolutely annihilate the the Dolphins, considering the Dolphins had so much at stake. 
the Bills gave them absolutely nothing and Josh Allen looked immense. So um, that, that probably runs it quite close for me. But um, alas, the answer is the Browns. Yeah, uh, and special mention to Jamie uh, Gillen, of course, the Scottish Hammer. Tremendous. You know, first season at the Browns, they they had their best season in a long time. Second season at the Browns, he gets them into the playoffs. So, do you know what? That's the Scottish influence. Graham Gano did his damn best as well to get the Giants there. Um, obviously, he made a big positive factor to them. We could have had two Scotsmen in the postseason. I don't think that's ever happened in NFL history. We were pretty damn close to it. Hey, maybe next year. Um, the one other person I'd mention is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, the Colts, now granted, they're playing against the the absolutely horrific Jacksonville Jaguars, but still, a franchise record 253 yards for a rookie is an impressive afternoon. Uh, and, you know, he looks like he's a, a really good player for them. Uh, interesting to see what the Colts can mount in the postseason. We'll, we'll come on to that in a little bit, but special mention to him. You know, I think a lot of the rookie eyes are very much on Justin Herbert, are very much on Justin Jefferson, rightly so. You know, Justin Jefferson obviously set the most amount of yards for a rookie um, in NFL history in the Super Bowl era with 1,400. That's an impressive record in itself. But for single game performance on 17th, I think Taylor deserves some credit as well. But for then, we'll rattle through these really quickly because they're very similar. So both Gavin Newlands and Matt McLaughlin say the entire NFC East. Not one team deserved to win that one. Uh, Bowfin and Bobak together is, this is from Ross Black, the sensationalist nonsense that's followed the Eagles because they decided that the sixth pick was better than the ninth. Yes, um, <laughs> that's the right answer. Yes. Um, Chris Breen has said, Bowfin, Tua, the left-handed Blake Bortles. There's a nickname <laughs> that he's not going to want to keep. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Um, Bowfin from the Patriots football chat uh, was the Miami Dolphins capitulation. Um, <laughs> Johnny B, Bowfin, two uh, turn of the ball overs performance against the Bills. That's a good nickname. Good, good nickname. nickname. Um, we're stealing that one, Shawnee. Yeah, definitely. Bowfin from Lauren is also the the Dolphin the Dolphins' performance against the Bills. Second stringers matched the starters for scoring in the second half. Yeah, there's going to be some questions there. Uh, Phil Spears, Bowfin is Tua, although as a Bills fan, it was fun to watch. Bowfin for Denny Ford is all things Cowboys. Sure, this is the last chance to take a shot in the regular season. Take it. That's what I say. Bowfin, the Alabama color commentator for calling players' backsides by the term fanny bone. That's not one that I picked up on. <laughs> uh, did, did Fanny Bone not play for us? <laughs> I'm sure he did. I'm sure he was in lo- on loan for five or six games. Uh, so Owen, who's an Eagles fan, Bowfin, the Washington football team for nearly losing to Scrubs. Um, George Jackson, the Eagles, what a shit to me that team have become. And I, Ian Brown gives it to Doug Peterson because he's given them all three. So who gets your Bowfin this week? Gents. I'll go. I'll go first then. Um, I it's a hundred percent the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the fact that they lost by as much as they did, despite the fact that the Bills did an Eagles, but did it a quarter earlier and removed more than their starting quarterback, and it didn't even register a blip with anyone because Matt Barkley continued to just rain down touchdowns on them. Um, the Bills are a really good team. That was embarrassing for the Dolphins uh, to go into you know a game that you have to win to make the playoffs win that game, the Colts aren't in the playoffs instead. Uh, just ridiculous. You, just absolutely destroyed Bowfin. Paul? 
Uh, I'm, go I'm going to give you a slightly surprised one, but it's the Washington Football Team Radio Network, who I listen to um, for both pre-game and the start of the game. Just awful. I mean, you get teams who are biased. That's fine. I don't mind that. You get teams who are very professional. I mean, as you know, I don't think the, the Saints radio is particularly good, uh, you know, during the game. But it was sycophantic rubbish uh, from the Washington football team. The post, the pregame stuff was horrendous. It was just bordering on how good do you think we are type thing. And the the play by play was just anemic, so I actually switched it off, went and listened to the the TV commentary uh, instead because it was much better. So that was just absolutely baffling. I've managed to listen to quite a few of the radio teams. There's some great ones around San Francisco. Uh, LA Chargers are really really good. I love the Cardinals. Like listening to them, but boy, they have got to be. I didn't think there was anybody worse than the Saints, but thankfully there is now. Yep, Jamie. Bears come close because I, I really thought that they would turn up and they would make a real game of it, and um, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. But um, yeah, the, the the Dolphins were the worst performance of the week, and Tua in particular just got worse and worse as the game went on. And I think that was probably the most startling thing about it was that there was no when things were going not going his way, there was no like, right, let's get back to basics. There was no kind of calm heading. He just started slinging the ball into triple coverage, and uh, it, it, it was it it was awful. And it was not it was not the way that a guy of his kind of stature going into this season really wants to have hanging over him now for the, you know the entire off season was people's memories of him completely losing it um, and, and and putting in such a poor performance. So I think I, it's got to be the Dolphins. It, it really is a specially bad performance for Bouff, and I think it's the Bears one definitely does deserve a mention. I, I think you get the Bengals get a pass just because what have they got to play for? The Cardinals were really disappointing, even under a backup quarterback that we talked about last week that no one had ever heard of. Um, but really, it's it was it was massively disappointing. Uh, I think all round from from the Dolphins and so much hype about Tua, so much. And you're right, so many questions now. So many questions will be asked. And I think that yeah, Tua turning the ball over and uh, the left-handed Blake Bortles are two nicknames he definitely didn't want to end the season on. So there you go. Um, sorry, Tua. I don't, I, I don't think it should even really be a question as well. I think they pick third now because the Texans pick. Um, there's three quarterbacks that are all capable. Like the best thing you can say about Tua coming out of the season is that you don't know yet if he can be the guy. So I think you have to you have to take either Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, whoever doesn't go number two. I don't think I've seen a single Dolphins fan agree with that. It's really interesting. Like I, I know a couple. I've floated that with them, and they just they found it almost a laughable suggestion. Yeah, it's really, really everyone really wants to build around like oh you know we need to surround him with talent, and that's great. But if you do that and he just continues to be the guy he was on Sunday afternoon. You've just wasted four or five years. So let's wrap up then with the Bob Ag Award um, and close off 17 in the regular season with that. I'll rattle through these again really quickly. So again, there's a lot of theme here. Gavin Newlands, Matt McLaughlin, both in agreement. Doug Peterson. Gavin says, taking a winning team with a good roster and throwing it. Um, and the Washington football team game in the bin. Then Ross Black, who is an Eagles fan, he obviously mentioned already, you know, the, the Bowfin Firm is a sensationalist nonsense that's followed. Um, but also the ball bag is the Giants should have won more games and not left it in the hands of another team. 
But having said that, the situation Doug has created leaves this Eagle fan pretty pissed off and a bit concerned for next season. So that's one thing we didn't actually touch on that we may cover in the postseason is what does this do to the rest of the roster? Those that maybe buy into it, but there'll be a few that don't. Um, Bob Ag for Chris Breen. Yeah, it's Doug Peterson. But also the people that are suggesting pulling Hurts was like taking Rodgers out of the game. He was 7 for 20 and 72 and an interception. He was horrible. It's a fair point. Uh, Patriots football chat, Bob Ag, Doug Peterson. Shawnee B, Bob Ag, Doug Peterson, creating a situation. Um, Bowfin from Lauren Callahan. Eagles began the week saying they would not allow Redskins a hat game, then rested nine starters going into the game, then made some questionable calls in the second half. Thankfully, the Cowboys weren't relying on the game. Um, there was one other thing that got mentioned. Andrew Neal says the ball bag was the defensive tackle from the Eagles that went after Alex Smith's leg on the false start, which was an interesting one as well. And again, I don't know that you can definitely say that. He definitely went through the line and was going low on the quarterback. But yeah, it certainly didn't look particularly good. Philip Spears, uh, ball bag for him is anybody that's nominated Doug Peterson. So all the names I've just mentioned, Philip has just given them a Bob Bag nomination. I don't know that we've ever had more people single-handedly given a Bob Bag nomination than that one single Bob Bag nomination. So there's a historic moment for the NFL Scotland podcast. Uh, here's more people getting nominated then. Denny Ford, Eagles coaches ruining the integrity of the game, wanting sixth pick instead of ninth by tanking. Awful. Um, Stephen Lynn, equally Doug Patterson and the New York media, Bob Bag. Um... Owen, the Eagles fan, Bob Ag, the New York Giants, for beating the Cowboys. <laughs> this situation would only have been funnier if it was the Cowboys that were upset. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's a perfect one to close those off on. That, see, for every argument, there's a counter-argument. If only the Cowboys had won, it would have been glorious. Jerry Jones's face would have been worth the whole thing. And there's a, there's a valid point in there. Sorry, Cowboys fans. Uh, who are your Bob Ags this week then, guys? I really like the, the, the thinking through on that one to the Cowboys. I'm going for a bit of a butterfly effect one as well. I started with Doug Peterson and thought, ah, it's too obvious. And then so the counter-argument, well, the, the, the Giants should have won more games. You're like, yeah, you know, you're right. Actually, the Giants should have won more games. Why didn't they win more games? You think back to all the really close ones, like the Buccaneers loss was an absolute nightmare. But actually the worst one, the absolute worst one, was losing to the Eagles at the link. Um, and the reason for that, was because Evan Ingram dropped like a, a, an absolute walk-in touchdown to put them completely out of sight. Ingram gave away another interception because he had perfectly thrown past, bounced off his bonce and straight into the, the, the hands of uh, a DB. So why not? I'm going full battle for effect. My ball bag is Evan Ingram. <laughs> that one's been building. Excellent. I like that. Uh, right, Gordon. So I'm going to need to rewind us back to the start of this podcast for my ball bag of the week. If if I heard correctly, uh, a certain Mr. Mitchell claimed that what the Eagles should have done on fourth down was kick the field goal. Am I correct? In? I said they could have done to tie the game, and oh, no. therefore... No, 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 no. Uh, no, 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 no. Should, 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 should. Should, should was well, definitely said. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, let, me pause this. let me pause this, because what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go back and I'm going to play the exact words that Paul Mitchell said so that the people listening can hear them. They should have kicked it for 17 all. They should have kicked it for 17 all. They should have kicked it for 17 all. They should have, should have, should have, should have, should have, should have, should have kicked it for 17 all. Mr. Mitchell, defend yourself. Well, if I said should, that's what I would have done. 17 all. 
take the points and then go for the win running your quarterback, the correct guy. If you're going to bring in Sudfeld, why not bring him in when you're level rather than behind? Ball bag. So the interesting thing about that, I, I'm all about integrity and I think it's a ball bag <laughs> move to, to not maintain integrity throughout the week. Absolutely. Uh, what's that message I received on Monday morning? And I'll read it out to you. May surprise you that I agreed with the fourth and one call to I go did for agree it, despite with it, yes. poor attempts previously, and not take the field goal to tie it at seventeen. The lack of integrity, Mister Mitchell, I have to <laughs> nominate you for That's ball bag of the week. But, but, <laughs> and and a simple answer to that: that was done before they brought in the dunce. Uh, I, I I I agreed with it at the time. You're going for it, but if I knew they were going to bring in the dunce, yeah, kick the field goal, and then it's seventeen all. So, ah, no, so I'm not having any context, of that. Context is it's the. It's all about it's you, all about context. I'm you sorry, take your I, nomination on the chin. You take your ball bag on the chin and just accept it, and that's fine. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not taking my ball bag anywhere near my. Chin. Thank you very much. However. Um, I, I did agree with Gordon, and I thought it was very well explained by Chris Collingsworth at the time. It was the right play to do. Al Michaels had said it was the wrong play. He said it was right for the reasons. I think it was 5% statistically high or something like that. But if I knew that they were going to bring in you know, the stiff, then I would have kicked a field goal. Who's your nomination for Bobak this week? Well, I mean, it's going to be Pinocchio Peterson, but let's move past that for a moment. Does anybody not tire of the Minnesota Vikings? Are they not one of the best garbage time teams in the whole league? I mean, them and the Lions battered each other with some brilliant fun plays, but Kirk Cousins has got to start doing it in games that matters. Yep, that is a valid point. Totally valid point. Uh, Bob Ag for me nomination is all the people on both sides of this argument that have taken it too far in the opposite directions. And there's nothing wrong with this being a complicated conversation that's got a lot of context. And here's the truth in the matter. A lot of shit we know nothing about. And we don't know those conversations. And we're trying to project however we feel, no matter how we feel onto it. We're all ball bags, every single one of us. But we wouldn't change it because, as Jamie said, that's what makes sport sport. So there you go. That's week 17. Can I say one final thing? Yeah. See if I see if I decided to commit murder, and oh, Jesus. and the police arrested me with a murder weapon in my hand. I want Gordon to defend me <laughs> because he's brilliant. I want Gordon as my lawyer because he would get me off. That's another T-shirt. <laughs> if I get if I decide to murder someone, I want Gordon McGinnis as my defence lawyer. That's amazing. Con- context, yeah. No, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> right. That's week 17. We're going to wrap it there. We're going to move on to the wildcard games. So thanks to Jamie and Gordon who joined us there to talk about week 17. We've moved on now. We're looking ahead. It's wildcard and it's the first time ever that we've got six games for this instead of four. So hopefully you've got Sunday morning cleared out. Hopefully you've got Monday morning off work. There's a few people, I guess, with lockdown might be on furlough now, may benefit from the fact that you can sit up and watch these games now. There's definitely some interesting ones in there and maybe ones that aren't so much. We're joined now, though, to talk about that um, because... Because it's the postseason, we had to get a Rams fan because that's what we do in this podcast. So we've gone out and we've picked up Matt Farnham. Good evening, Matt. Hi, how you doing? Thanks yeah. for having me on, guys. No, thanks for coming on. Now, Paul, I'll let you ask your usual introductory questions. Matt, thanks for joining us. How did you get into the NFL? Um, I, do you know what? I, I thought about this quite a lot as a kid. 
um, and I say a kid, as a 12, 13 year old, I picked up an American football one day um, in sort of like a, a sports shop. It was probably JJB or something like that at the time. Um, and uh, that was it. I just started throwing the ball around with my friends and sort of trying to make up the rules as we went. Um, occasionally catching the Channel 4 show um, all those many decades ago now. Um, and it just sort of de- developed from there. Uh, I spent about seven years without any sort of team. Um, and... And then the Rams moved to St. Louis and uh, I was a baseball fan at that point and I was a Cardinals fan and I thought, hey, let's just make it all one trip. If I ever get to go over, I'll just travel and we'll just go to St. Louis for everything. Um, and that clearly blew up in my face as we returned to LA. <laughs> well, at least the baseball team are still there and they are, yep. they are popular. So tell us a little bit about what you do for a living now. Uh, so I'm a, a lecturer at West Lothian College, um, teaching the media and communications course out there. Um, and I'm a freelance journalist um, for anybody who will have me. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already mentioned you support the Rams. So uh, my condolences. Uh, apart from that, if you'd been playing the game, what position would you like to have played? You know, because we're always keen to recruit to the NFL Scotland theoretical team. Uh, yeah, um, well, I'd, I'd had a brief half season um, for the Merseyside Nighthawks where I played uh, defensive end. So um, just enjoyed chasing quarterbacks. Ah, what, Excellent. Are, what are the few people that can actually talk from experience here, Paul? And he's definitely made the flag football team when we get his help then, because that's uh, we need people that have actually played the game. Absolutely. And uh, I won't mention him being a Rams fan again, because if he's a defensive end, there's no way I'm arguing with that. So simple <laughs> as that. Matt, great to have you along. No problem. Thanks, Paul. So let's look ahead. We're into wild card weekend. And like we talked about at the top there, six games. We'll work through them one at a time. We'll talk about the storylines. We'll talk about what, we, what we're looking forward to seeing, how we think things will play out. Uh, and obviously, we'll take it from there. So up first on Saturday, 6 o'clock UK time, we have the seventh seed in the AFC, the Colts, away to the second seed, the Buffalo Bills. Um, Paul, we were just talking there about the Bills-Dolphins game in Week 17. The Bills looked impressive. They come into this on hot form. On the other side of that, though, we talked about Jonathan Taylor, and I gave him my Belter nomination this week because of that franchise record as a rookie. There's a lot of talent on this Colts team. Philip Rivers is, at times, shown he's very capable of getting this into a, some brilliant performances. This is a really fascinating game to kick us off. Yeah, I mean, the Colts are one of these teams that for any given Sunday was made for. They, they could go and beat anybody in the league, home or away. Um, it, do I think they will? I, I don't think so. I think the Bills are playing tremendous football. I think they've got all-round talent on their team. It's Buffalo's first home playoff game since 1996. How horrible it is that nobody could get in to watch it. Uh, that is just very Buffalo Bills. But I think the, the Colts are more than capable. You know, if Phil Rivers, this could be his last season. We don't know. He, you know, he might just give it their all. They seem to have interesting depth and perhaps a bit more no-name players. They've probably flown a little bit more under the radar. But for an 11-5 and team, they're, they're a strange team. They are, and Matt, this is this has got a lot though to 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 tantalise us, to whet the appetite, to kick off the wild card weekend. There's a lot of there's a lot of positives for both of these teams coming into this game, and I guess that right away makes it an interesting time. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's um, well, both teams. First of all, like we said, Buffalo finally getting that that much wanted home playoff game, um, and it's going to be a chance for for Allen, Josh Allen, to sort of finally quieten down maybe some of those those critics. Me being one of them, I, I still, I, despite the season he's having, I still think 
is it just a, a lucky season? I think the the addition of Stefan Diggs has really helped him this year, um, and that ability to sort of have somebody that when he throws the ball up in the air, um, Diggs just starts running. You know that seems to be the way it works for him. He 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 can't overthrow Stefan Diggs. I think has has been the big improvement this year. And then the other side, like you said, you've got Philip Rivers, who's who deserves, I think. An extended run in the playoffs um, after his career, after you know the way he's carried himself as a player and as a professional, I think he's brilliant. But ultimately, what it comes down to is it's a cold weather game, and Philip Rivers does not like cold weather. No, he does not. Um, and it's interesting, you know, if you look at the rankings, the league rankings coming into this one. So the Colts are the tenth overall offense against the Bills, who are the second. Um, on rushing, though, and in cold weather, that's where sometimes you maybe need to lean more on your rushing game. That's where Josh Allen might have to put himself into situations that he doesn't want to because they are the 20th ranked rushing offense coming into this, which is not ideal. Um, the Colts, eighth best defense as well in the league. So we know that that Colts, especially that front line, um, it's strong and they play aggressively um, they're very capable and it's not going to be easy Buffalo have I think shown they're capable of beating anybody in this in this league this year they've really been brilliant at times to watch you know you're right I, and I can I think I, I've come to terms and accepted Josh Allen but it took me a while to get there and I think that it's one of those ones where it's I, I kind of kept expecting them to fall off the cliff this season and it just didn't happen now is this a Lamar Jackson syndrome where he gets into the postseason the first couple of times and just goes, well, that's where the cliff edge is? It's a tough game, but if he can come through this one, then I'm not sure there's much argument left questioning his abilities, even with better weapons. I mean, because certainly he didn't have them before. I think his temperament is what sort of um, concerns me. Um, being a Rams fan, I watched that game you know, quite avidly earlier in the season. Um, and just watching him on the sidelines when things weren't going his way, he didn't have that, you know... Um, to, to talk about Baker Mayfield before we get there. He didn't have that that Baker Mayfield about him where he was picking himself up and he was just ready to get up and he was he was getting, you know, he was losing his temper. He was throwing his helmet around. He was screaming at referees when decisions weren't going his way. Um, he didn't like being under that sort of pressure. And, and ultimately that game came down to a call that on any given Sunday could have gone either way, you know, um, and, and, and I still, I'm still bitter about it. Let's not lie. I'm still bitter about it. Um, but, that's what concerns me, and that's what's really going to show in the postseason is his temperament. Does he have that ability to sort of cool that temper, calm himself down, and, and play a game? And that, Paul, is a reason why you see even some, you know, postseason does tend to be the more experienced quarterbacks. Not always, but, you know, obviously Pat Mahomes came in and did it last year and showed that level of temperament. I think Pat Mahomes, the reason that he is so popular, he's so good, is he doesn't seem flustered. Even in the games where he doesn't start particularly well, he inevitably ends up bringing it back because he's got the mental capacity to just accept the situation and know that he's in control of it and try and fix it through his capabilities and his abilities. You'd like to think maybe though after the season he's had, Allen should have more of that about him. He's not playing for the Bills that he did a couple of seasons ago. He's playing for a much improved Buffalo Bills team. Yeah, but for some people that comes naturally. It's like, it's like golfers, you know, you hit a bad shot 
it can't affect your next shot because what's the point in that? You know, bowls is the same. There's so many sports, snooker, darts, etc. You know, what you've done previously, if you carry it over, there's only going to be one result and that's a bad one. In terms of Josh Allen, I mean, what I would say is I think if the Bills get a lead, they won't be caught because I don't think the Colts are built to come from behind. The only thing that I'm reminded of is, you know, the Bills were 16 nothing up on the Texans last year and lost. So even with a lead, Josh Allen is going to wobble because he's going to remember that. Uh, whether he wants to remember it or not, that is going to be in the back of his mind. Uh, I like quarterbacks who've got a bit of fire, who then mature and learn how to handle these things. And I think Josh Allen is going to be one of those quarterbacks. Right, we're going to call these as we go through it then. Who have you got winning this one? Paul, I am tracking this for our pick six. So you're going to have to make your decision now, I'm afraid. So you're going to copy all of mine so I can't catch you? I will yeah, go okay. first on some of them <laughs> just to keep the balance there. Um, I like the Colts, big Colts fan, but I'm going with the Bills. I think they'll win it. Matt, how do you see it going? I think the Bills, as much as, again, it greets me, I think the Bills. Yeah, and I agree. The Bills are the Bills are Bookie's favourite by about a, a touchdown, and I think that's about right. You know, the the one thing that could cost them is if Allen loses his head. At the same side, the, what might cost the Colts is if Philip Rivers loses his. Um, you know that he's definitely capable of the, the toys coming out the pram. We know that's something that Philip Rivers is guilty of sometimes. It's just different with him because there's no swear words when that happens, which is still a weird thing when you listen back to it, but yeah. Right, okay, let's move on to game number two then. Uh, and this is the NFC. So, and probably of the NFC games, on paper, this feels like it could be the closest one between the two, as the LA Rams have to travel to Seattle to face the Seahawks. Matt, this is your team. We'll give you the floor, first of all. Um, what can I say? I'm, I'm the most pessimistic fan of all my sports teams. You know, um, I'm a Liverpool fan in football and I, I don't think they'll win the league this season. I didn't think we'd win it last year either, even with a 20-point lead. Um, uh, no, I, it, it depends what Seattle team shows up. You know, Seattle first five games of the season, unbelievable. Seattle since then have, have sort of sorted their defence out a little bit, but more out of necessity rather than fixing a problem. You know, their offence suddenly stumbled and stuttered and, and didn't get going. Um and the Rams Seahawks, they're so, so close to call. You know, a few weeks back we played and, and they won 20 points to nine. And even that game was a lot closer than that 11 point gap. You know, there was a couple of moments in that game where it could have swung back towards the Rams. Um, McVeigh and Carroll, you know, they have a sort of a burgeoning rivalry between themselves. I think I'm most excited to see Ramsey Metcalf part three. You know, I think that's that's going to be a fascinating thing. But unfortunately for the Rams, it, it is about the other members of the secondary stepping up here. You know, it's about Hill coming in and, and making sure he does what he can do um, because Metcalf isn't the only receiver that, that Seattle have. Do you think, and it's fascinating because that's one of the things I was going to call out. Looking at the two games that were played this year, so the, the first one in week 10, you know, to Metcalf versus Ramsey in co- when he's up against Ramsey in coverage. Two targets, zero reception, zero yards, obviously zero touchdowns in the first game. Second game in week 16 was two targets, one reception for 11 yards, zero touchdown in that Ramsey coverage. Do you think that that's what 
Seattle should come in target now, or do you think that they continue to stay away from that coverage? Oh, I, I think they stay away from it. I think there's a reason that every single you look at Ramsey's, you know, and all the fan groups and the fan groups get pretty toxic sometimes. Ramsey comes in for a hiding every week, um, you know, oh, he, you know, they've not called his name, they've not done this, they've not done that, and you're like, well, that's pretty much what you want to happen with your cornerback week in, week out. You want him to, you know, not be mentioned unless it's, oh, what a brilliant breakup, you know. Um, and I think six, 16 weeks. 16 games, they've people have stayed away from him for a reason. Um, I think he, he had an interception taken away um, on Sunday night, which was a shame because I felt like he deserved at least an interception this season. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think they target him. I think they, they put Metcalf on him and they look, and if they get one-on-one, maybe they have a look that way. But I think they basically the same thing that the Rams do with, with uh, Ramsey, which is put him on a t- top receiver and take him out of the game. Seattle will be thinking the same thing, right? We just go the other side of the field. A lot of this, Paul, is going to come down to Jared Goff. Obviously, missed out last week. Um, looks as though he will be fine for this one. But, um, you know, we saw that the, the Rams struggled against the Seahawks just after Christmas. This was the game where it felt like the Seahawks' defense was starting to get better. The Rams' offense has not been so great maybe the last couple of weeks as well. But we know that there's more than enough ability in LA to, to do damage. And we know what Ellie are capable of in the postseason as well. I'm not a Jared Goff fan. I've mentioned that before. I think he's way overrated. He's arguably the worst quarterback to reach a Super Bowl in a long time. And I think there's a lot of hype. Um, But like Matt, I'm I'm pessimistic as well because I think the Rams still have a chance. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm not a Rams fan. I I just, I don't like Sean McVay, but I'm, I'm trying to, to come out of that for a moment, Let, let's look at this objectively. The Seahawks, Russell Wilson has been terrible since what week seven, week eight. He's not been the Russell Wilson that everybody you know wants to watch. He's gone from must see TV to he's on a channel somewhere that's way down in the seven hundreds. Jared Goff, I don't. I mean, is he that much of a loss? Look what happened last week. You know the Rams are functional in in certain departments. You know they they do have the players at the positions you'd like to have them at, and I think sometimes Goff actually holds them back. I think this will be exceptionally competitive. I'm going to say the Seahawks will win simply because Russell Wilson has got great experience, and you've got to think he's going to snap out of this funk at some point. Uh, I think the coaching matchup between Carol and McVeigh is fascinating. And you know, it might just come down to little tweaks. And you know, I will not be surprised if we see, certainly in the first quarter, the odd trick player too, just trying to get the upper hand on the other team. It is definitely interesting coming into the last three games of the season with Russell Wilson. Like you say, you know, he started the season so strong, so many conversations around MVP awards. You know, the first three games of the season, four touchdowns against the Falcons, five against the Patriots, five against Dallas, two against a very good Miami Dolphins team. Then it was three against the Vikings, three against the Cardinals, four against San Francisco. That took us to week eight. From week nine onwards, there was one week he scored four against the Jets. Fine, that's the Jets. There was a week he got two against Buffalo in a blowout, and they were junk time. Two touchdowns against Arizona. Uh, fine, in a, in a tight game there. Two against San Francisco in the week 17 there. And then a one against the Rams, one against Washington, one against the Giants, one against the Eagles, nothing against the Rams. You're right, you know, the second half performance when it comes to touchdowns certainly has not been there. And we know there's not a phenomenal run game 
in Seattle at the moment. Is that going to be the, the difference here, Matt, between a Seattle win and a Seattle loss? Is it Russell Wilson and which Russell Wilson we get? Is it first half of the season, MVP candidate, or second half of the season, oh, look, he's got zero votes again? I think what's interesting is that we, we're talking about Russell Wilson and the downsides of Russell Wilson, but actually Russell Wilson's thrown for his most yards, most TDs, unfortunately his most interceptions as well um, this season. Um, but even most interceptions, that's only by one. I think that the key is, like you said, that Rams defense His two of his four worst games of the season. His worst game and his, his fourth worst game of the season were against that Rams defense. And for whatever reason, you know, um, I think there was a, the, the clip that went viral of uh, Aaron Donald being asked after the game this week. So you've got Seattle next week and, you know, and he was like, good, I'm excited for that. You know, it was, and everyone's like, he's coming for Russell again. And, and he sacked Russell Wilson, ironically, more than any other player, which you, you would probably be surprised that based on his mobility. But when you think about how many quarterbacks go the, the NFC West has gone through in his, his years in the league, it's not so surprising. No, I, I Russell Wilson is the key to it. Right. It's as simple as that. Um, Goff on the other side of the ball isn't particularly, I, I, he's a game manager at best. I, I would totally agree with what Paul says there. I'm, I'm a Rams fan. He should never have got the money he was given. Um, but that's Les need throwing money at pe- people all over the place for the Rams. But that being said, McVeigh said today that he's not commenting on who the starter is until the, in, until it's ready to go. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some Wolford in that game either way. Uh, who do you see winning this one then, Matt? You get the cast of this. this I, I'm the a pessimist. Point. So I'm going to say Seattle. I'll be walking around all day Saturday with my Rams shirt on and my Rams t-shirt, my Rams hat, and I'll be, you know, following my my game day routine. Um, but um, I'll and I'll say Seattle. But secretly in my heart, I've got that that hope that the Rams make it through another week. Um, so uh, unfortunately, I'm going to agree with you. Um, I Seattle just find a way to get stuff done. They've been doing it as long as Russell Wilson's been there. Um, and I just, yeah, I just see them getting this one done. Um, I think that they, they will progress into the next round. So sorry, i back in Seattle here as well. Mr. Mitchell. Yeah, Seattle for me. Oh, who's I, copying I who? Who's copying who? It, it's <laughs> going to be close. Well, it, well, when we get to the Buccaneers-Washington game, you've got to go for Washington <laughs> because you've said the NFC East team will advance. So we'll, we may well disagree on that one. Damn. Oh, yeah. oh, damn, that was a penny drop moment. We might skip over that one. Um, right, okay, on to the third game then on the Saturday night, which is the one I want to skip over. Uh, I don't want to talk about this. It's crap. Uh, listen, there's no way. I, I'm going to get this off. There's no way that Washington are winning this. There's just no way. Um, Tampa are in full force. They, they'll have their linebackers back. Brady's found his groove. He's got all the weapons you could ever want and some extra ball bags in there as well with the addition of Antonio Brown, who was stealing touchdowns off the hands of poor Scotty Miller, who's been neglected. But, you know, Antonio Brown saw the ball. He was like, oh, it's my ball. Um, yeah, th- to be honest, this is the one that I will maybe start to watch. But as soon as this even looks like a blowout, I'll be going to my bed. This is not one I'll be sitting up till four in the morning to see that come off because I think it's a... this probably the most stick on and I can't believe this is fourth versus fifth and fifth is such a heavy favourite over fourth um, absolutely unreal the only thing I would say only thing I would say to that and this has just popped back into my head because I'd forgotten about this there's only one other team has ever made the postseason with a 7-9 and nine record right and that was the Seattle Seahawks in oh, 2010 I think it was that was a bum NFC West right the Seahawks make it to the postseason 
So what's going to happen there? They're going to go out in the first round. Well, they didn't. They? they came up against an NFC South team, and they beat the Saints, something like 43-31 or something mental like that. So actually, that 7-9 and nine team met someone from the NFC South and beat them. So there's your omen. That's your omen right there. I just don't see it. Unless, unless Chase Young somehow manages to get in and inflict an injury to Brady in the first couple of plays of the game, uh, this could be a complete blowout. Anyone disagree? Siri, could you define clutching at straws for me <laughs> and just play back Cameron's last answer? <laughs> Absolutely. Clutch. Listen, I'll be claiming that burger bet off you if the Washington win, but there's, they're not going to. It's definitely not happening. There's no way. Uh, Matt, wh- how, how do Washington... <laughs> you might get a job out of this if you could give a good answer. How do Washington beat the Bucks? Uh, a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> what was the... What was the um, uh, the the quote from um, McDermott when he was asked about Aaron Donald, they leave half the team in the hotel. They don't get on the bus, right? Um, the entire offense and defensive line has to not be available. Um, maybe infect the the flight up with COVID or something, and then or, or rig the tests upon landing, right? <laughs> just just it, what whatever it takes. No, I'm. It's tough, isn't it? Because Washington's defense is really, really good. The reason that they made the playoffs this year, as much as, as I know Giants and Eagles fans all have their, you know, all have a moan and whatever. The reason they made the playoffs this year is because their defense has carried the team all season. Um, so they're really, really good. So you think, okay, can their defense stop the the, the Patriot their Patriots, their the Bucks offense, Brady's offense? Um, and and you think mm, maybe, but then you look at the defense on the other side and you think, nah, they've just not got a chance. You know, it's not even like you know, this Tampa team is pretty high and pretty consistent on both sides of the ball. Um, they do things well. The last few weeks, they've looked a bit ominous as well. They've looked like Brady's starting to sort of enjoy himself in, in an Arians offense where he's allowed to throw the ball around and have a bit more fun with it. Um, maybe, maybe, like I said, you know, some sort of COVID outbreak, maybe if all the players get in a hot tub together um, and then one of them tests positive and they all have to isolate... <laughs> I, I don't know. That's that's about as far as I can I can see it going. But that being said, as you've said, you know, I think previously the two teams that have got through with um, under five hundred records to the the playoffs have actually made it through the wildcard games. So, hey, any given Sunday, any given Sunday. Just there you go. There's the advice, Tampa Bay. Stay out of Bobby Kraft's Miami jacuzzi, and you'll be fine. You won't catch anything, uh, Paul. <laughs> I, listen, I'm telling you now, I'm I'm back in the box to win this, right? I know what our bet exists. I know our bet exists. It was that an NFC East team would make the divisional round. But one, I didn't think, I thought it was going to be the Giants. And two, I thought they were going to be playing the Rams or the Cardinals or something like that. Not the Bucks. Uh, well, you, you've got to go with Washington because I know you're a man of principle and integrity, oh, and I, res- I respect you for that <laughs> greatly. Um, I'll go for the Buccaneers, but Honestly, I I take my hat off for, for you to stand by the Washington <laughs> Right, you're, fine. You're, Do you know what? I've got a good lead in the pick six. I'll take the Washington football team. Right, let's move on. Um, probably then, I think, the game of Sunday. Again, I think we're lucky with the two six o'clock games, uh, especially in the UK, because I think they're the best games um, into Sunday night. And we've got the Ravens at the Titans which, of course, is a repeat from last year's postseason. Um, and interesting to see if the Ravens can stop Derrick Henry. And actually, I think the Titans' defense has regressed a little bit 
can Lamar Jackson find a way to go over the top and actually do some damage through the air? Matt, um, yeah, Matt, you kick us off here. And I, I, well, I think that's interesting. I think you're, I think you're, you're spot on. I think I was looking at Tennessee's last year. They were almost really sort of reliable on the defensive side of the ball. That that was their strength. And then they had Tannehill to game manage and win games, you know, comfortably and, and just, you know, play soft. Um, this year, it's definitely not been the case. But I think what concerns me is looking at the stats is um, you've got Jackson. It, so inclusive of his passing and rushing yards, Jackson has 3,762 yards, 33 touchdowns, nine interceptions and two fumbles that he's lost. Um, Tannehill has 3,819 yards passing, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions and no fumbles lost. And then you've got Derrick Henry on top of that. Um, and, I, I, you know, something in me says, oh, actually, this Tennessee team needs to be to be really considered. And. You know, we doubted them last year. I, I definitely doubted them last year when they made it. I was like, oh, Tennessee have snuck in there as well. Um, and, and they showed that they can do it and they can that Vrabel can get them play in this sort of back against the wall football that they needed to do to get through the playoffs. The other side to that is the Ravens have just looked unbelievable the last few weeks. They've looked on fire on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Lamar seems to have bounced back from COVID with some superpowers, you know, akin to... Homes and each doing enough to get through games, and so it's it's a tough one. And it, the Ravens just look better on both sides of the ball. You know, I think they rank seventh in, in defense, total defense. The Titans are twenty eighth around there. Um, the Ravens just have a better team on both sides of the ball. So I'd have to edge with them. But then that being said, Derrick Henry. Yep. <laughs> I, Derrick Henry, Lamar Jackson are the two word answers to how either team can win this. Uh, it's fascinating. I think I think you're you're right in a lot of this. And you go back to that game that they played against each other in November. Obviously, the Titans won thirty to twenty four, so they did face fairly recently. That was around the time that Lamar wasn't a hundred percent. He just wasn't. And like you say, they they have really bounced back. Uh, they've been playing really really well and some really thrilling games as well. They they had a fairly easy game against the Bengals, and I wonder whether the, the fact that the Titans had a competitive game against the Texans may actually help them because they're still hot. And momentum and form is so important in, a, in this game, even from week to week. So I wonder whether that will come into play. If the Titans can figure out a way to stop Lamar Jackson in the run game, then they've got one hell of a chance. If the Ravens can figure out a way to stop Derrick Henry, then they've got one hell of a chance. And I, I, it's almost as simple as that. Paul, anything else we need to consider here? Yeah, four previous times that the league's top rushing team have come up against the league's top rusher in the playoffs in the Super Bowl era. Four times the team with the leading rusher has won. Ooh. So I'm going to tip that over to the Titans. I think it's going to be close. No result surprises me in this game. I'm just going to take the Titans because I suspect you're going to go for Baltimore and I need to differ slightly. I am going to go for Baltimore because <laughs> I think that I think they'll learn from their game against the Titans last year. And I feel like Derek Henry was still Derek Henry last year. I think the rest of Tennessee's maybe gone a little bit back. I think even Tannehill, another good season that he's had, is not quite as good as he was. Maybe that's a feel. I've maybe got nothing to back that up, but it, they just don't feel as reliable. And actually, even the fact that the Texans where in that game makes me wonder, you know, how how vulnerable is that defense? Uh, if Lamar Jackson, fine, 32nd rank passing team in the league, but first on the ground, they just, if they can figure out how to run the ball, then they will do very, very well indeed. Matt, how do you see this one going? 
Yeah, I'm probably going to agree with you there. Baltimore, I think, are going to uh, uh, come out on top, um, flying in the face of history as, as we both are here. Um, but I do think the Titans have allowed 24 points in 12 of their games, 24 points against them in 12 of their games this season. Um, and more recently, you know, they've sort of, the games where they haven't let that was, I think Jacksonville was one of them. They only let them score 10 points. And they let Jacksonville score 10 points, you know. Um, I just think that the Titans' defense has regressed, and that was their, their strength last year. Baltimore uh, just seemed to be hitting their stride. They seemed to be coming into it a little bit, you know. Um, they remind me a little bit of the the Giants. Um, was it the 2008 or the 2012 Giants? But they, they were just picking up momentum at the right time. Um, and and I think, I think they'll have a good run. I think they could potentially um, take on Kansas. Yeah, interesting. Right, on to Bears Saints. This will be a quick one. Chicago have lost six straight games to New Orleans. They last beat them in week 15 of 2008, even without Kamara. Uh, is there any way that the Saints lose to the 8-8 eight eight Bears? I, I genuinely don't think so. I mean, I've been looking at this one quite closely. I mean, the Saints beat the Bears early in the season. Uh, we didn't have any wide receivers playing on that particular occasion. Uh, I just don't. I think if you were an eight and eight team that were one of these eight and eight teams that people thought, tell you what, they're good. They've just been unlucky a couple of times. But the Rams came. Uh, the the Bears came out the gate quickly. Nobody believed in them. They then went down, and nobody believed in them. I think they get all the credit in the world for reaching the playoffs. I think they worked hard to get there, and I think you've got to pre- appreciate the professionalism. I'll tell you this, and, and and this is simple: if the Saints can't beat the Bears, they don't deserve to be anywhere near a Super Bowl anyway. Uh, I think it really is as simple as that. And I'm not trying to do down the Bears. The Bears are not seen as a good team. Anybody that loses to the Bears at home in the playoffs, that would be seen as a really bad season for whoever that is. I don't expect that will happen. Chicago have got a chance. Everybody's got a chance. We've seen that this season in various games. But I don't see an upset here. Matt? I am... the Bears, right? So my everyone's complaining about the the Washington football team making it into the um the playoffs. My complaint here is the Bears making it into the playoffs. <laughs> this is a terrible, terrible Bears team. Um, you know they had a six game losing streak right in the middle of the season, and they've won three games. Uh, those three games against the Texans, the Jags, and the Vikings in a row, right? Outside of the Vikings, which was a divisional game, and it, and it literally it was a toss up at the end. You know, um, that they've not beaten good teams. The fact that they've made it to the playoffs is just it just shows, I think, how the NFC West is. And I said this earlier in the, the year in one of my columns. The NFC West was so competitive that those teams ended up costing each other. I think Arizona are a far better team than Chicago and deserve to be in it. They didn't get it, so be it. Um, the Saints are turning the ball over for fun. Their defense is back to where it was about 10 years ago. Um, they're really, really strong. Um, and that Chicago are the opposite. They're regressing in the defense. They can't get to the quarterback. I think they're, they're ranked, um, they, they're, they're lacking turnovers. They're ranked quite low down in QB pressures. It's the Saints. It's got to, it has to be the Saints. The Saints have to win it. And if they don't, then, you know, what can I say? Another miracle knocks the Saints out. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> if Drew Brees' last game for the Saints is a defeat to the Bears, the 8-8 eight eight Bears in the postseason. Oh, he doesn't deserve that. No, he he's past his best, but he doesn't deserve but, that. But Matt Ryan doesn't deserve the Atlanta, Fan- no, uh, Atlanta, no, no. Atlanta Falcons. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, okay, <clears throat> I've got the Saints as well. Let's wrap this up. Um, I uh, want another tasty one to close off if you can manage to sit up. And if you've got Monday morning off work, I, I don't start work till about 
one or two o'clock on Monday, so I might see how much of this I can see. But the Scottish hammer-led Cleveland Browns will be up against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a rematch from Week 17, except this time the Steelers will be playing Ben Roethlisberger, who is 23-2-1 career record versus the Cleveland Browns, although I don't know that those records matter all that much because the Browns have not been relevant. Matt, let's start with you. How do you see this one going? Well, the Browns haven't won in Pittsburgh since 2003, I believe. <laughs> so, a long old time. Um, but um, I think what's important for the Browns in this game is the run game, right? We saw it last Sunday. Now, I guess it wasn't against Big Ben. Um, it was against a different thing. But they run the ball for, ran the ball for nearly 200 yards um, on Sunday, and it made a difference. They won the game. Uh, in the first meeting this year, in the week six, they run the ball for 75 yards. Um, that's going to be the key. If the Browns are going to be in this game, they have to run the ball and they have to get their run game going. Um, that's It's as simple as that. And, you know, uh, Pittsburgh are the worst rushing uh, offense in the league, uh, whereas um, Cleveland are the third best. And then on the other side, the, the you know, the only defensive output where um, Cleveland are better than Pittsburgh is actually uh, rush defense, you know. So I do think that if they're to beat Pittsburgh, it's going to be running the ball. And I know Baker doesn't want to hear that because he's got all his commercials and, and things out there, and he needs to be a star. But they have to run the ball. They have to play it sensible. And if they can run the ball consistently, and they can keep Ben off the field, they can keep the offense off the field. Then they can, you know, they can go in there and pick up that win. That being said, is it not Pittsburgh's year? You know, I felt like Pittsburgh possibly could have gone unbeaten if. Other teams had messed around with COVID and, and ruined their schedule, forced them into a week four bye week, followed by a Wednesday, Monday week of, of games that ended up with them losing. I, I do think that that now Pittsburgh, maybe they've had a chance to rest some starters. They'll be in a better position and a better situation um, to, to move forward. I think it's Pittsburgh's, but... Grant. Um, Paul, the... The line that I had in my head has completely gone out of the window. Ah, that was it. Gord McGuinness called the Steelers fraudulent all season long. Do you think this is where they get exposed by the Browns? Or do you think that they're not quite fraudulent enough and they're going to progress? Any team that's got Mike Tomlin in charge is not necessarily fraudulent. I think they have perhaps overperformed and he may have been one of the reasons for it. I think Big Ben has been up and down. He's not threatened to retire during the course of the season, which is quite nice, but he's been a bit up and down. And, you know, given the choice of games to watch on TV, I'm not sure it would turn on the Steelers. They don't really excite in any great way. But I think, unfortunately, this one might come down to, to COVID. And of course, Brown's Kevin Stefkansky can't coach uh, you know, he's tested positive now, unless he gets negative tests and things like that, he's, he's going to be out under the league protocols. He's not allowed, he's, you know, he's allowed to have all the contact in the world right up to kick off and then it's done. So, you know, he's not going to be there. And I think he's the guy that's made a difference with Baker Mayfield. He keeps him calm. He keeps him focused. And I think that really counts against them. I mean, I was going to tip the Browns because I, I think they've got the talent. I think Matt said it, if they can run the ball successfully, I think they win the game. I think, you know, they can score quickly. It's not necessarily the thing they like to do. So I think they can match Pittsburgh. I'm not convinced by Pittsburgh's run game, but I really think the, co the coaching issue may be the straw that breaks the, the Browns back here. So you're going Steelers? No, I'm actually going to stick with the Browns because I've, I've, I've got to try and be a little bit different from you and I suspect you're going for the Steelers. So. <laughs> I am. And I actually think that the coaching thing, I think he might well make the sideline. I think the... 
the size and the grandeur of the event may be the undoing for Baker Mayfield and a few of these guys that are doing this for the first time. And I think that the Steelers, Tomlin, Roethlisberger, and a few of those guys have been here and done it. So I think that there's a lot there stacked against the Browns. Are the Browns capable? Absolutely. Is it going to be a close game? Yes, I think it will be. I think that the best chance the Browns have of winning this is they need to get into an early substantial lead. They need to get into double-digit lead before the Steelers get any kind of lead, and then they've got a chance to hang on and just keep doing enough to keep themselves in the game and see it out. If they're chasing the game, I'll be worried for them because I think that's where the desperation will kick in, that's where the lack of experience will kick in, and that's what might be their uh, undoing. So, so much of this is going to be about who comes out the traps the quickest. I think that Roethlisberger will benefit from the week's rest. I think a few of the defenders that the Steelers rested will benefit as well. I think that the Browns have had this COVID disruption. It's something to distract. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe the distraction of that's a good thing. It gives them that excuse, that a little bit of pressure off them. But actually, I'm worried that it's going to mean that they're not quite as fully prepared as they need to be. And I think that the Steelers edge this one there as well. So there you go. Um, let's wrap up then just purely by talking about the game that we're most interested in watching, I think, and then and then we can close off the episode. So Matt, as our guest, what is, I mean, obviously the Rams-Seahawks, but you may be a bit anxious throughout that one. Is that the one that you're most looking forward to or is there another game there that you're thinking, actually, that's uh, going to be Do you know what? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm excited for this weekend. Like you said, I'm excited because first of all, the Rams are in the playoffs and it's not on, you know, one o'clock kickoff. So I'm excited by that. Um, I do think the Colts and Bills are, is going to be a fantastic game. Um, and as much as we've just talked about Brown Steelers there, I think this is the changing of the guard. I think Paul DePodesta, the chief strategy officer up there in Cleveland, the guy that was behind Billy Bean and Moneyball, He's been there for, I think, five years now, and you can see his strategy coming in there for Cleveland. So even if it doesn't go Cleveland's way this week, I think this could be the change in the regard in, that, in, in the AFC North. I think Cleveland are here to stay um, with his new strategy. But yeah, Colts-Bills is probably the game I'm most looking forward to. But just because I'm a Rams fan, I'm going to hate the Seahawks game, win or lose. I'm just going <laughs> to sit there, a nervous ball of energy. But hey. That's what being a sports fan's all about. Paul, which one are you looking forward to? Uh, Ravens Titans for me. I think there's great narratives uh, on both sidelines. There's great narratives on the field. I think Lamar Jackson has got a chance to step up and shine, and he could well take that. But you know, Ryan Tannehill showed he can move the ball very quickly, um, as he did towards the tail end of the game against the Texans. I think that will be exciting. I don't want the Saints Bears game to be exciting. I'll take an early lead and just roll it. All the way, that's absolutely fine. I don't want excitement when it comes to my own team um, in this part of the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that the AFC side of this is so much stronger to watch from an entertaining point of view. It just feels closer for some reason. It, it really does. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, the, the worst ranked team from the AFC is 11 and 5. And then we've got two teams from the NFC that don't even have winning records. So, you know, it, it feels a little bit lopsided at this stage. I think that that's a different conversation when we get to the next round. Um you know, I think that the Bears against Green Bay is going to be a thrilling game in the divisionals because of that rivalry. So, yeah, Mr. Mitchell's just, he's making notes. He didn't even hear that. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I think Ravens-Titans is the most interesting for me because I feel like of all the teams playing, I, I, I think both of these are capable of coming back from a 20-point deficit. Uh, you know, if one of these teams is down 20 points at the break, I think either one of them would be capable of turning that around. With some of these other games, 
Washington are 20 points down, there's no way. The Bears are 20 points down, there's no way. The Browns are 20 points down, there's no way. Um, I would say if the Rams are 20 points down, sorry, Matt, there's no way. I still think the Seahawks can turn that right. I just, because they're just spawny gits. Um, Colts, Bills, the Colts, maybe not. The the Bills, I think, could. But really, I, Ravens tight up expect, 20 points down. They could I be. expect the Bills to be up 20 points at halftime. And then I expect the Colts to, to, to pull it back. back. Because that's the way the Bills season's been, though. The Bills have notoriously been a weaker second half team. So, yeah. No, absolutely. But lots of narrative, lots of interesting stuff. We want to hear what everyone else has got to say. Send us your predictions. Keep your eyes out for the pick six. But that is the full-time whistle for episode 131. Um, make sure that you share your thoughts on this one on Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and search for us on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. It's been a great podcast. Lots of fun, lots of debate, lots of opinions. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Gordon. Thanks to Jamie. Thanks to Matt for joining us. For Cameron and myself, Paul Mitchell, enjoy what is super wildcard weekend. We'll be back with NFL Scotland podcast with all the aftermath next week. Until then, bye for now. We should be kicked for something